Hey, this is Evan Marcant, standing coach for smart, strong, successful women, and your personal trainer for love. Thank you for being here on the Love You podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the end of gender roles. I don't know if that's uh, exactly what we're going to do. We're certainly going to be talking about gender roles, both traditional ones and the changing of the guard. Um, I'm going to be talking about it through a few lenses. Number one, I'm going to be talking about it through the lens of my marriage, uh, telling you a lot about what's going on in the cat's household. I'm also going to be talking to you about a really interesting article I read about gay marriage and how that uh, both reflects and does not reflect upon straight marriage uh, and, and the way those relationships are different. So it's actually going to be a really interesting thematic podcast. I suggest you stick around for the whole thing. So I want to begin today with um, a personal story. Um, and uh, I, I'm never shy about sharing things personally. I got nothing to hide. Um, I'm not one of those people who feels the need to take a picture of every meal he eats or emote about every single thing that happens uh, in, in my life or either whether I'm bragging about it or not. But I do think that it's important for someone who's happily married to tell you what a happy marriage looks like from the inside, uh, including some of the stuff that is challenging. And uh, I've gotten feedback from people. I hate the way you talk about your wife. How dare you ever criticize her? If my husband ever criticized me like that, he wouldn't be my husband anymore. And how would I be serving you as your dating coach if I just told you only the good stuff? So here's the challenges that we're facing. This has everything to do with gender roles. And I think it's going to be really easy for you to extrapolate how this impacts you. So um, my observation is that we are resentful for the roles that we create for ourselves. Sit with that for a second. We are resentful for the roles that we create for ourselves. Example, um, this is not necessarily about me. But man becomes the breadwinner of the household. He builds a business. The nature of his business is that he has employees. He has responsibility. He has payroll. He needs to be in meetings. He needs to travel. He has to support not just his family, but multiple families. And in order to do that, that requires a lot of time and energy and dedication. And it's his passion. And boy, he does love his family. But his work, his work just takes up a lot of energy. And so... He does what he feels he has to do for his job and then feels like he's being taken for granted, right? That he, he's just everybody's wallet. He pays for everything for everybody. And when he comes home, the only thing that he gets to hear is criticism about what he's not doing, how he's not around, how he does not help out enough uh, with the housework and the child rearing and how he missed his kids' play. And... Again, I'm not even defending him. I'm just pointing out that that's an archetype. That's a thing that actually happens. So the guy created a role for himself, right? And he partially resents the fact that his role in the family is to have to be the breadwinner, even though it's a thing he chose to do, right? And it's not anybody else's fault. He chose that path, and yet he resents that path because it pulls him away from his wife, it pulls him away from his kids, Right. And it gives, because he doesn't have the greatest balance, it gives uh, rise to valid constructive criticism of him. So, me. I don't travel. 
Um, I've been working for home, from home before there was a pandemic. I've been doing working from home for 20, 25 years. Uh, my dad was a workaholic and uh, workaholic's a bit overstated, but he was the guy who ran his own company and lived in Long Island and would commute 50 minutes each way to New York City and work from, you know, maybe 8 to 8.30 every day. Wasn't home for dinner to put the kids to sleep at night. My mom would always tell him, David, take take the day off. You know, give, give me a Friday. I just want to spend more time with you. And he said, honey, I'm, I'm doing this for you. Right? And she's like, you're not doing this for me. I want to see my husband more. So this is what I grew up in. And I said, I want to be like my dad, but I want to do better. So I don't work nights and I don't work weekends. And I have dinner with my family every night. And I want to be a better husband and father than my dad was. And my dad was pretty good, but my, my, my mom wasn't always happy with him. And so I've embraced this old school traditional role of breadwinner, protector, provider. Um, and I've been fortunate. I'm like, I've, I've been able to do that. I've been uh, an up, my, my mom would even tell, I've been an upgrade <laughs> to my wife compared to what my dad was to my mom. And because I'm a breadwinner, my wife chose, and uh, I'm going to, to share you our, our term, we, we're trademarking it. My wife was on maternity leave after six months of maternity leave. She went on eternity leave. So my wife has been on eternity leave now for 12 years, uh, which is fortunate. It means she can devote all of her energies to doing something she chose to do after having the same job for 16 years. Now she is a stay-at-home mom, super involved, carpool mom, soccer mom, class mom, team mom, treasurer of the PTA, the, the whole thing. Um, and she too resents her role. Um, I think she actually resents her role more than I resent my role. I don't mind being the breadwinner. I don't think I'd want to do my wife's job. My wife chose this job. And now that she has this job that she willingly chose, the strain starts to show. And so, this again, this is this is like complicated stuff. Um, what I need in my life is someone who could balance me out and do things that I can't. What are things that I'm good at? I'm good at talking. I'm good at writing. What are things I'm not good at? Pretty much everything else. So my wife is a wizard in Excel. You know what I would really want? I'd want my wife, who's a wizard in Excel, who who does the books for her school, right? handles everything in the school, all the money in the school flows through her. She's been doing it for five years. If I want her to do the books for our household, I have to beg. Honey, could I get a meeting with you? Could I get just like an hour? Could, could we talk about our cash flow? She always puts it off, doesn't want to do it. She wants to do what she wants to do. It's not the books for our household. It's the books for the school. Now imagine how that makes me feel. Makes me feel really resentful. And so she's got this skill set that she wants to employ how she wants to employ it. And I need someone who could do the books in the household because I can't. This is very, very typical. And my wife will tell you, she's the most stubborn, passive person in the world. She's not going to make a big scene. She's not a yeller. She's a screamer. But she's definitely a don't tell me what to do person. Even if it would be good for me, don't tell me to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it on my own time, by my own volition. Uh, not a self-help person. 
And so my wife's job, as she sees it, is to take care of the house. And she's excellent at it. She manages the house and the kids and the, the grocery shopping and the carpool. And that's that's the role that she took on because I work you know, pretty normal business hours, nine to six-ish. Um, the difference is my job doesn't end then. My job, and I, I carry the weight of having to pay for everything, but my wife carries the weight of managing everybody else. So after we have dinner together and I'm ready to sort of settle down and just be with her, focus, talk, connect, watch TV, talk about what we're going to do on the weekend. My wife has a million things going on. This is the emotional labor of being the stay-at-home mom. The, volu the volunteer job that she took, right? she has to worry about permission slips. She has to worry about uh, what the weather is the next day and whether the kids are going to dress themselves properly and whether it's going to rain and who's got the carpool. Right? So I try to contribute. I've written about this extensively in my blog. I really am a sensitive husband who sees very actively what my wife is doing. Right? She takes everything on herself and her version is, I can't delegate to you. I just, I, 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 would, I would give this to you, I can't do it. Honey, I could, I could do my own laundry. No, laundry's my thing. Okay, um, what, what could I do to help you out? Because she's working until midnight. No, no shit, she's working midnight, one in the morning answering emails, folding laundry, right? preparing things that, that again, I, I don't even know about because I'm not privy to it. So it's like being the, a small business owner who has no employees and then takes on the burden of having to do everything themselves. If you're a small business owner, you'll, you'll get that. So she'll make dinner for me and I'll do the dishes unquestionably. I, I take out the trash, I walk and feed the dog. I mean, I, I, I do things, but it's not a fraction of my, what my wife does. And so it sounds like, um, you know, two things. I, like, I, I recognize how this all sounds. Like I'm just letting her twist in the wind and shoulder the burden. And, you know, Evan, you know, just do something, take stuff off of her plate. You don't understand, I can't take it off her plate. She won't let me take it off her plate. And the only reason I'm sharing this is because sometimes I get the sense that despite the fact that she loves our life and she loves me and she loves our kids and we all have great relationships, sometimes I get the sense that she's not happy with the life that she created, the role she's taken on, the number of things she has to do. And I know she's not alone. Right? There's plenty of literature about this. I'm thinking of a book. Um, I'm going to botch the title of the book, but, it, but it's by one of my favorite writers, Jennifer Senior about about upper, upper middle class parents who you know created the, the the dream life but aren't having any fun doing it sometimes I get that sense about my wife and so that's why I'm, this podcast is about her I'm a coach for women and I don't think that that's entirely unusual um, she she just takes on so much to the point where my job is a nine to six job her job she's up in the middle of the night all the time. My wife pulls all-nighters all the time. So I could say on one hand, well, you asked for it. On the other hand, what could I do to help you? On the next hand, you can't do anything to help me, <laughs> right? And I say, well, take stuff off your plate. You don't have to be the treasure, the PT, PTA treasurer. You don't, you could delegate. I could fold my laundry. The kids could fold their laundry. Like 
there's many things that we can do differently around here to make your life easier. But she takes it all on herself. And then there's this immense weight that she carries that, that bleeds out into other aspects of her life. Right? If she's up until three in the morning, what does that mean the next day? It means she's going to be tired the next day. It might mean she, she won't wake up until 10 o'clock on a weekend. Or it might mean she needs to sleep in on a weekday, which means that I have to walk the dog, drive both kids to school, then get to the work get to work while she's still sleeping and recovering from the night before. Or she wakes up and she's a zombie the next day. And if she's a zombie the next day, she's going to be pretty cranky and unfocused. You could also consider how this might affect our communication, how this might affect our sex life. And this is all two people who are in a perfect condition where he's a self-employed guy with a job that he created who works from home and is willing to contribute as much as possible. And she doesn't have a day job. Right? And she has everything paid for and she's still struggling. So I'm very, very conscious of that like, and, and all the weight that comes with it, that being the 1% the, the and the white privilege. And right, like, I recognize that, that we are among the luckiest people in the world. And yet, we're still struggling to get everything done and get everything done well and make sure that we have work-life balance and that we're happy. And so I see this thing as pretty universal. Maybe it's a, some case of FOMO or, or trying to compare to other people's lives. But I think it's sort of an epidemic, which is why there are, there are books being written about it. There's a book called Essentialism that talks about cutting out things from your life. There's sort of the whole Marie Kondo phenomenon where your life just becomes too cluttered and you have to just learn to let things go. You have to learn to say no to things. Hard part is I'm a yes person. My wife is a yes person. We like to do everything. And so then we've just overloaded ourselves with things that might not even be necessary. So I only share this not as a teaching tool per se, but as an opportunity to see the universality of this and to look at happily married dating coach, um, who's not bullshitting you like that. All everything I said is true. I could be very happy. I could be very happy with my wife. I could be happy with my kids. I could love my clients and my job. And I could still feel the weight of the thing I created for myself and resent what I've created and not know how to pivot from it. And my wife could feel the weight of the life she created and not know how to pivot from it. And so that's why we have these conversations. That's why we do these podcasts. That's the kind of thing that we get into on our Love You coaching calls. When I talk to women who are smart, strong, successful, busy women who are trying to create room to date online and make time to meet strangers and to text and to be attentive and to make people feel good while they're still juggling all the things that I talked about here today. So if that hits you, if you're a busy woman who's built a life for yourself that on paper you love, but it's not working for you, I want you to inquire within, what are you going to do to change that? Well, one of the things that you can do to change that, since you can't quit your job, right, and to slough off all your responsibilities, is that you can find someone who's willing to share the burden with you. And that's the beauty thing that people don't talk enough about of a successful marriage where two people are on the same team. My wife and I can divide and conquer. We could do more 
We are multipliers. The fact that I can do X and she can do Y, and we can do a little bit of overlap and help each other out. But for the most part, we have our spheres. Imagine you had a partner in life who could do that, where if you're working hard and traveling, he is the person who could carpool and pick up the kids and have dinner ready. Or if he's the primary breadwinner, it'll allow you to sort of step back and find a little balance and be more present and be a better partner to ease his burden. And this is the beauty of a happy marriage. And so many people are so used to being single for so long that we've lost sight of the idea that it's lovely to have someone who takes care of you. Even if it's not perfect and even if they're not perfect, having someone in your life to help solve those intractable problems and share the journey with is always a net positive. There's not a moment in my life I think I'd be happier without my wife, despite all the things that I just shared about our respective flaws. So with that, I want to remind you, if you want help, and we all need a measure of help, go to www.evanmarkkatz.com forward slash apply. Watch my video about how to fix your broken man picker. Learn the formula. Fill out an application. We'll talk on the phone and we'll get you on track. We'll get you the love that you deserve. Uh, now I want to talk about uh, Love You Small Wins. Uh, every week we talk about uh, clients who are in my course, my signature course, and they're having success. And it's always easy to talk about the, the big wins. Like this, this week, one of my clients announced that she had a, she got a new boyfriend and she's really excited and he's younger and he's motivated and he wants a future and he wants to have a family. That's a big win. And I could tell you, client gets boyfriend every day. The small wins are the things that I want you to hear because those are the things that you can do from home listening to this. These are the little things that keep you going to get to your big win. So this one is um, uh, really simple. This is from someone who's newly uh, enrolled in Love You. Love You is a 26-week curriculum. The first seven weeks, we don't even ask you to do any dating. We don't want you to do any dating. We want you to slow down. We want you to get your head on straight. We want you to gain your confidence, to reframe the negativity in your past, to start to believe in love once again. Week seven of Love You, we'll talk about online dating and what to do there. So she's at the beginning of the course. She's taking her time to let it wash over her. She writes, I'm not dating right now, but I'm doing my homework and I'm noticing my patterns. My pattern of scarcity. Scarcity meaning thinking a guy is the last guy on earth. My sunk cost pattern. Oh, I've been dating this guy for three months. He's not treating me well, but I'm afraid to let him go and I'm afraid I can't do better. So I'm going to hold on to this dead end relationship until he dumps me. That's the sunk cost pattern. So just coming here and recognizing, oh, here are the things that I do where I get in my own way. That is what allows us to break the patterns and, and replace them with new healthier patterns where you realize that you're the catch, you're the commodity, you're the CEO, men are interns, right? And once you start to believe that, you can start to live that. So good stuff, good stuff. All right, my recommended read for the week, um, and I find it really interesting. It's an article that was in the Times. It was written by one of my favorite um, researchers. Her name is Stephanie Kuntz. It's called What to Learn from Gay Marriage. This article came out a couple years ago, but um, I keep coming back to it because it has some really interesting ideas that are very quotable. Um, here's the first paragraph I want to read. Men in same-sex same marriages reported the lowest stress. Men married to women and women married to women were in the middle, 
recording similar levels of stress. Women in different sex marriages reported the highest levels of psychological distress. Yep, that's straight women in marriages. So happiest people, male gay marriages, middle tier, straight men, gay women, bottom tier, straight women with straight men. So what do we attribute this to? Um, if I were to tender a guess, I would attribute it to two things. Um, one is stronger than the other. One will be more validating to you than the other. The thing that I would attribute it to the most is the fact that most men have relatively low EQs. They're not that emotionally aware. They're not that sensitive. They're not that communicative. Uh, they do a really poor job of understanding women, women's needs, um, the thing that it takes to be a man and succeed in a man's world and succeed in business. It's not what it takes to succeed in love. Women are more relational, more emotional, more communicative. And I think in general, it means that men tend to be worse partners, which is not terribly surprising, which is why women initiate two thirds of divorces. Sorry, guys, throwing you under the bus because it's true. Next, that's something that I can't change and you can't change. I, I can't tell you, I've been doing this for 20 years. I can't tell you how many times I give advice to women and women's first reaction is, tell men, don't tell me what to do differently. Don't tell me to stop sleeping with guys. Tell men to stop sleeping with me if they don't want to commit to me. That's not how this works. Guys are going to sleep with you no matter what I say. I'm not, I'm not that big an influencer on, the, on the, the, the straight male population of the world. So we're not going to spend any time complaining about men, even though there's completely 150% valid complaints about men. It just doesn't do any good. So we're always looking for what can I control. That's what we're here for. That's what, what Love You is based on. I can create a course called What's Wrong With Men. I'd probably be rich. <laughs> Here's a course that reminds you all the things that you know that suck about men. It just wouldn't accomplish anything. So we don't spend too much time on what's wrong with men. We observe men in their natural habitat and we say, hey, there's a lot of guys out there that for whatever reason, nature, nurture, their parents, the environment, they're not great emotional partners. In fact, most men are not capable of being the man you need them to be and that's okay. We're not going to change them. We're also not going to waste too much time on them. We're not going to try to change them. We're not going to try to wag our fingers at them. We're just going to realize this doesn't feel good. Let's cut them loose. So to that point, there's the issue about men not having a high enough EQ. And then there's the other reason that same-sex marriages are harder for women. Number one, women don't understand men very much either. We're talking past each other. Usually, in most situations, there's not a right or a wrong. Oh, he cheated on me. I'm an innocent victim. Well, that's, that's a right and wrong. But most situations are, I see the world this way. He sees the world this way. Right? And then reality is somewhere in between those two opinions. And that's like politics, the same thing. There's his view, her view. How much overlap are we going to have in that Venn diagram? The more overlap we have, the healthier relationship we have. That's why you're going to have healthier relationships with guys who are less egocentric and narcissistic and guys who are more sensitive, self-aware, even tempered. Right? The problem is you're not as attracted to those guys. And so that's why I'm here. That's why we have a job. Um, 
So there's this combination of men being having a low EQ and women not being able to understand men and even understand good men. Why would a, why would a guy do this? Every week I get on the phone. Hey, this guy um, was on a date and he was telling me about this other woman he was dating. He said, I'm just being honest with you. You know, there's this other person I'm seeing. We're not exclusive, but I just want to let you know. Her take on this was he's bragging. He's, he's puffing himself up and showing what a stud he is. Right? That was her take on this. It was the completely wrong take. The actual take, as told by a man, was he's actually trying to be a good guy. He's probably not used to dating multiple women. He's an older guy. He's just trying to be transparent and authentic. And he's definitely not trying to brag at all. He's trying to just give you full disclosure on his situation because he doesn't know a better way to play those cards. Right? Sure enough, she talked to him about it. I was right. She didn't understand the situation properly. That just happened this week, so it was on my mind. But it's very, very common to for, for men and women to talk past each other in relationships, and that's not just on men. It has to do with a lack of experience with men to understand men, not having a good dad, not having good guy friends, not having brothers. Right? So men become this mysterious other species. And if they're a mysterious other species, then sure, it's going to frustrate you and baffle you. Part of the reason I think my wife is an amazing wife, she has a right-wing <laughs> misogynist father and two brothers who are very much guy guys. Um, comparatively, I'm a, I'm a softie, right? I'm, if she's dealt with, with guys her whole life, I'm going to be comparatively easy to deal with. She does actually understand men a lot better than a lot of my clients do. So next paragraph why these gay marriages are better than straight marriages. Sharing domestic tasks has become an increasingly important component of marital stability. Lack of sharing is a, a, an increasingly powerful predictor of conflict. Studies in 2006 found that happiest and most sexually satisfied couples are now those who divide housework and child care the most equally. Couples where the wife does the bulk of routine chores report, report the highest level of discord. And I know... I framed this intentionally, how that would make my marriage sound. You're basically saying, Evan, that your wife would have every right to be unhappy with you because she does the bulk of the household of the bulk of the household chores. Well, the reason that that's not true is because they're really talking about uh, conventional two working parent marriages. The problem with those marriages is that they both have equal jobs, and then she's doing all the work on top of it. Right. Traditional marriages where one person has one job and one person has the other job actually have a higher satisfaction rate. But in general, if you have two people and, she, and they both make 75 grand a year, but she does all the housework and child rearing on top of it and he sits there like a bump on a log, this sort of learned helplessness, well, that's going to be a recipe for marital dissatisfaction. And that's kind of predictable. And it's something that I use in, in, in coaching when I'm talking to women and they're uh, uh, divorced women in their 30s, 40s, 50s, you need to look for a guy. And nobody, nobody does this on Tinder, right? But when you start dating someone, you really want to pay attention to how he treats you and how he sees the world. You don't have to interrogate him. But is this the kind of guy who's going to help out with housework and childbearing? Does he care for his own home? Is he attentive to your needs? If you made him dinner, does he offer to do the dishes? Is he self-sufficient? Does he cook for himself? Or is he a guy who just orders in? You're really looking for a guy who's kind of a finished product. And a lot of people undervalue 
what it takes to run a, a household that is which has nothing to do with you know intellectual uh, curiosity or you know great chemistry in bed. So these are huge factors in relationships that people tend to underestimate at the beginning of courtship, but really make a difference later in courtship. Women spend, and again, I'm not saying this, I'm, I'm not defending men and I'm not mansplaining. Women spend twice the time on housework and childcare. So if she's working part-time and he's working full-time, that could be okay. Right, but if they have similar jobs, this is going to be a problem. And this does prove to be a problem over and over and over again. The woman becomes the caretaker, right? And the guy will literally be sitting there playing video games while she's running around like a headless chicken trying to take care of business. So next paragraph. Here's where some same-sex couples can offer their different sex counterparts useful tips. Since same-sex couples can't use male-female differences to sort out who does what, they rely less on stereotypes. Same-sex couples are far more likely to each take on some traditionally feminine and masculine chores. They're also likely to share the routine tasks. Almost half of dual earner same-sex couples, the people that we're talking about, shared laundry duties compared with under a third of different sex couples. 74% of same-sex couples shared routine childcare compared with only 38% of straight couples. Once again, makes sense. We're not relying on stereotypes for who does what work. We're sharing them together. One of the one of our closer couple friends, um, they're really wonderful people. I won't cite them by name. Um, he is an he's an amazing dad. Uh, he's an entrepreneur, so he has a little flexibility. But he does more than any dad that I see. He probably does fifty percent of the housework and child rearing. He's he's an he's an amazing cook. He's an attentive dad. He he carpools. He's, he's one of the few guys that I know who really does the full egalitarian thing. And I don't know if most women would say, this is what I'm looking for in a guy. And I think they just underestimate how important it is to have someone who's willing to take that role on voluntarily instead of being cajoled or guilted into it. You want to find someone who's there. Modern generations are getting better. Right? Truly, younger people are better at this. There's a different problem with the younger generations is that, is that because they don't have the same gender roles, the dating part gets a little bit more confusing, but that's another conversation. So all the stuff we're talking about is stuff that you can't figure out early on in dating, right? Long distance relationships, can't figure this out. The only time you figure this out is when you really start to integrate into each other's lives. Because if you're at the early phases of dating, the honeymoon phase, and you're dating and you're traveling and you're making love and you're learning more about each other, this is the things I'm talking about, which sound really mundane, like marriagey things. Right? Marriage isn't the marriage isn't the problem. Right? It's how people fit as married couples. Right? People associate marriage with failure and being trapped. That's not what it is and any more than working at a company is inherently bad compared to working for yourself. If the company, everybody knows their roles and is working together, it works really, really well. So the problem is we do not spend too much time thinking about what is this like gonna look, gonna look like in five years, 10 years, 20 years. We spend all the time on how exciting it feels right now, which is not a good predictor of your long-term relationship at all. Gays and lesbians who disagreed we're less, we're talking about the, why gay marriages are better. And again, the message of this is not to become gay. Gays and lesbians who disagreed were less belligerent, domineering, 
and fearful than different sex individuals. Same-sex couples use more affection and humor when discussing their disagreements, became less agitated, and calmed down more quickly afterward than different sex couples. This is also not surprising. Um, and this is unfortunate. One of the things about straight men in straight male roles, and uh, forgive me if you've heard me say this before, someone taught it to me, I will pass it to you. The masculine does not like to be directed or corrected. Don't tell me what to do. And so there's a normal fight or flight mechanism, right? the ANS, autonomic nervous system. Um, I got this from Dr. Jamie Turndorf's book, um, uh, Kiss Your Fights Goodbye. If you attack a guy, not physically, but if you say, why did you do this? You're such an asshole. He's going to do one of two things. He's going to fight back to defend himself or he's going to pull away. I'm not dealing with this. Neither is the reaction you want. All right. So that's what happens when you, when, uh, uh, sorry, heterosexual couples fight. That's usually the dynamic. He does something wrong. She attacks him. He feels attacked. He fights back. Right, which is an ineffective strategy. So this is, again, not a defense of men, but there's a better way to talk to men that is less likely to cause those kind of fights. It's one of the things we talk about in month five of Love You is how to talk to men. So um, men with more masculine energy are even more likely to be aggressive, defend themselves, not back down from a fight, not apologize, which is why there's always a downside to dating the guy who's more in the alpha column if that's what you're attracted to. So last piece, women put more energy, and it's a look at my watch to see where we are. Women put more energy into maintaining and deepening intimacy than most men do and have more extensive expectations of empathy and emotional support. They also monitor relationship quality more closely and have higher standards for it. These traits can produce exceptionally intimate supportive relationships, but they also consume a lot of energy and can generate stress and disappointment. This may help explain why lesbian partnerships have higher breakup rates than gay male couples or different sex couples. So the last piece is just to remind you that I could sit here and beat up on men and alpha men and traditional men and all of those things. And I have many of those components myself, right? But what you control is the men, men you choose to date Right? Their temperament, their demeanor, their ability to listen and communicate and prioritize you and compromise. You could choose better men for that. And you could also recognize that you're always a piece of what's going on. And usually the dynamic in relationship is you have a guy, and I'm not, again, not defending the bad ones. Well, so we have a good one. Right? So it's this narrow lane, you got a good guy. That guy never feels like he's doing enough. All he hears is what he's doing wrong. It's this constant criticism. It's this idea that the right guy is going to read my mind, do the right thing over and over. I told him what to do. He still didn't do it. Why are you such a jerk? Why don't you listen to me? And that high standard that women have for connection and perfection, real men are just always going to let you down. And I say, I use myself as an example, like my wife is generally not critical and still it's hard to feel like you're doing a great job as a husband because women's standards are so uh, high emotionally for what they come to expect from men. So I want you to take all of this and try to internalize it and figure out how it applies to you and your life. 
These are really useful con concepts, constructs that you can, you can figure out where you fit into this and what you can do differently. Even if we never get on the phone for coaching, right, I want you to pay attention to where you're the common denominator in your life because that's the only thing that you can change. So here's our love you love story before we go. I love these. This is from Holly. Holly's in her 70s. As you know, I credit my participation in Love You and your coaching to the wonderful success I've had in finding love in my 70s. Since the last time I wrote, my man has introduced me to his daughters in Western Canada and in Los Angeles, to his best friends and to his late wife's sister. He's met my daughters and siblings. There's joy and acceptance all around. We've even declared mutual love. Sandy, his name, recently initiated conversation about moving to my area and to sharing a larger household by next summer. Wow. Are you the woman who has everything except a man? You can have the relationship of your dreams and you don't have to change to get it. In Love You, you will gain confidence, let go of unhealthy relationship patterns, learn to trust your judgment, understand and attract quality men, assess long-term compatibility, and create a passionate, unconditionally loving relationship with a partner who puts you first, never lets you down, and always makes you feel safe, heard, and understood. Go to www.evanmarkkatz.com and click on the Apply for Coaching button to get started.